Today I'm speaking with Rob Tansey, the HR Director of House Builder Barrett. House building is a sector that's perhaps more open for social mobility than others. And Rob tells me how Barrett manages to provide good jobs and progression to their staff, but also how they're not resting on their laurels and are working to get a workforce that's even more representative of the communities that they're part of and building homes in. Rob, thank you so much for doing the podcast today. Obviously, I think for all of us, it's been very interesting times recently with COVID. But I guess for a house builder um, with huge numbers of employees, lots of different sites, it must have been incredibly difficult to navigate a way through when lockdown happened. Uh, yes, it, it absolutely. Unprecedented. Um, you know, we, we were working in, in an environment where no one really knew what was going to happen next. But what we did know was that there was this virus, um, the health and safety and, and well-being of our workforce, our customers had to be number one priority. And although at the time construction was one of those sectors that was not required to close down, we did. We, we, we put the health and well-being number one. We closed 400 sites. We closed 30 offices. Um, we um, furloughed 85% of our workforce. Um, and then within a two-month period, we then had the challenge of then reopening, you know, getting the sites back, but safe um, with social distancing. Um, we didn't open our offices again. We do have the offices open now for, uh, you know, a handful of people that, that need to work in the office because they simply haven't got the facility to do it at home. Um, and it was, it was a difficult time for us, but I think... You know, in many respects, I was proud about how the company reacted. I think we did all the right things. We put our people and our customers first. Mm -hmm. um, we, we, we knew that as a, as a business, we, we were in a strong financial position. So uh, we paid our, our, our £26 million grant back to the government. And that was the right thing to do because, mm -hmm. you know, others' needs were greater than ours. Um, and then, of course, we're all now on tenterhooks waiting for the next thing that's going to happen. But uh, a difficult time. Um, I think there were other things the company did that, that again, I'm proud of. You know, we, we, had, uh, we, we had something like 5,000 face masks that we made available to the NHS. We had all of our defibrillators we, 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 we handed over to uh, the, the NHS, which was uh, their need was greater than ours. Um, we collected something like £100,000 for NHS charities. So, yeah, and, and we encouraged our people whilst on furlough to do things in the community. Um, and, and, and many of them did do that. Um, so, you know, in, in certain respects, out of a, a crisis situation, some good things happened. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to hear how you also were able to then steadily get the sites back up and running, people back to work. And I think, obviously, a lot of what has underpinned Barrett's work has been increasingly this focus on social mobility and really putting it at the heart of Barrett's purpose. Um, it's one of the reasons why we've been so proud to be able to get on with doing an opportunity action plan with you. But tell us a little bit, in terms of social mobility and, and Barrett's purpose, what that really means for you as a business and, and why it's so important to put people really at the centre of what you're doing. Um, I, I, our 
company vision puts the customer at the heart of everything that we do. And, and in many respects, it starts here. You know, for me, I always say, if you, if, if, if you treat your customer right, you will create a positive employer brand perception that will mean that people will want to work for you. And those people that work with you will want to stay with you. So, you know, our approach to, and, and obviously we've delighted to, to, to participate and indeed sign up to the social mobility pledge because in some respects, inadvertently, that was what we were doing anyway, or that we've been trying to do um, over, over many years as an organization. Um, and and, and one, one of the key opportunities for us is actually opening up many different pathways for people to come and work for us. Um, you know, we've had a, a diversity and inclusion strategy for a number of years, and we've still got an awful lot to do in that particular um, arena, bearing in mind we are a house builder. We're not mm. sort of uh, leading edge when it comes to that. Um, but, you know, we, we, uh, as part of our business strategy, we, we know that we have a skills crisis. Um, we know that we need to look at other routes to market and other pools of, 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 of employment. So it, it's very, it's not purely altruistic, you know, we, by, by reaching out to, to, you know, those in, in socially deprived areas, uh, younger needs, um, we, you know, we have an opportunity to improve our business and improve their lives. So it, it all is quite holistic, really, but it was all quite natural for us, really, in many respects. I think one of the things we found with companies and organisations that are the strongest on social mobility is they've really worked out how it's part of their business model. And yeah. the danger is if it's just a bolt on that when times get tough, like they are now, yeah. actually then it just falls by the wayside. So the reality is from my perspective, there's never been an either or in terms of being a successful company or being strong on social mobility. I think the two go hand in hand, but as you mm. say, I think house building in particular is, had its own challenges around diversity, but tell mm. us some of the things you've done around gender, but also mm. other groups like ex-offenders, um, homeless, getting them opportunities to come on board and barracks. Tell us a little bit about what you've already been doing and, and your experience of that. Yeah. Well, if you take diversity and inclusion, uh, three years ago, we, we embarked on a a, a program whereby you know we accepted that you know we're a business we are probably less than 40 percent of our workforce are female um in in, in senior management positions it's around 15 percent um our bane statistics we're not we're not not good you know single digit um sort of across the board um and you know clearly we also had this this skills opportunity whereby if we're reaching out to different pools of, of resource and um, you know that would be a great opportunity for us so you know as a consequence we we had a, a whole program of, of of inclusive leadership of unconscious bias training that that we literally everyone in the organization has now been through so we've got a a, a workforce that understand this opportunity uh, and they're all now in a position whereby looking at their recruitment methodology looking at how they treat their people looking at how they promote their people, they're doing it in a much more inclusive way. But we've got a hell of a long way to go. I mean, you know, there are things like, I mean, we, we have um, 
a, a number of graduates that, 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 that work with us. Uh, they created something which I was really proud of. Um, it's called Built by Both. It, it's a, a networking event. I want to ask event. you about that. Yeah, so it's quite, it's active on social media. Um, it, it's a series of networking events for construction-minded minded people, uh, essentially females in, in all different types of uh, area of construction. We had lots of speakers come along and, and, and actually really motivate um, our people, but also all of those other individuals that, that, that were invited to these events. And, and, and the sole driver of this was to say, look, you know, construction and women can go hand in hand. And, you know, we, there are some phenomenal career opportunities for people within cons wider construction, within house building. But, you know, what we wanted to do is, is showcase that. Um, and, and our grads ran numerous events in, in, in London. We had a number of events in, in, in Manchester. Um, and I attended a number of them, and they were exceptionally successful. And that's still sort of alive and kicking uh, with us at this moment in time. We, we have looked at, uh, at other routes. Um, you mentioned, I think you mentioned the Exxon Forces. Um, yeah. For us, this was a marvelous opportunity. Um, we, we teamed up with the Careers Transition Partnership. Um, we, we saw there was an opportunity to, to recruit Exxon Forces, people that have come from varying backgrounds um, that are ready now to, 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 to leave the forces and they need to get into Civvy Street. And they've got some phenomenal skills and abilities and great training behind them, probably the mm. best training in the world. Um, and, you know, we have something like 400 sites. We've historically always recruited site managers from other house building site managers, and we decided to look at it very differently. Uh, and we, we've now got more than 100 ex-armed forces people working with us. They join us. They go on a program that lasts for a year. Um, they are sort of, you know, it, it, they become immersed in house building. And then very quickly, they are now managing uh, or assistant managing our sites as we speak. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we've got a, a, a whole lot more of them that we actually want to bring into the organization as well. So for me, that, that, that you know, it's about diversity of thinking in terms of a different pool. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also those individuals, a lot of them will come from backgrounds um, of, you know, so in, in some cases, social deprivation historically. Um, and they've got opportunities here that, you know, perhaps they would never have had before. I think it's really great work. And, you know, it's not the only area either. Um, there's work with Recycling Lives for ex-offenders, St Mungo's for homeless. Yes. How hard is it for a wider Barrett family, if you like, to be mm -hmm. able to you know, have the capacity to take on board really, really different people? You know, sometimes yes. where you're having to like make sure they can fit into teams and be successful. And that takes a bit of time to, to work that out. Is yeah. how you approached managing to not only have, if you like the aspiration to do this sort of stuff, yeah. but then actually to be able to do it is far harder. So how did you approach that? It, it, it is interesting. The aspiration for the Exxon Forces was, was, was there and the execution was there. It was, it was very easy. Engaging, you know, from a community perspective with the likes of, you mentioned St. Mungo's, is a, 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 you know, it's a homeless charity. Um, they've got a wonderful um, project called um, Putting Down Roots, which, which, is, you know, which is designed to help vulnerable young people with mental health issues. Um, and we're very interested in this, this charity. And of course, it's not just a London-based charity. It's in Bristol. Yes. It's in Oxfordshire as well. Um, 
And what we wanted to do was, was finance their work. And, and what we found is that, you know, financing them uh, through charitable donation, getting involved with that project, uh, we've come across some phenomenal young people that, you know, we would seriously consider actually bringing into our organizations in the many pathways that, you know, uh, we can talk about in terms of how you can, can work with us. They're not all easy. You mentioned, um, you know, it, it, we, you talked earlier on about ex-offenders. And, you know, we, we, have, we have tried to, to engage with a number of organizations on, on ex-offenders. Recycling Lives is a, a wonderful charity based up in the north, Northwest. And, and we've worked with them. We've worked with um, Bounce Back in, 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 in Bri with Brixton mm -hmm. Prison. Yeah, I know Bounce Back. And, and we also have worked uh, with a number of the prisons on the Isle of Wight. And our intention has been to, to engage with them to see if there are individuals there that we could then transition into work with us. Uh, and we had some success. I mean, we've taken a, probably a dozen people now um, from those particular initiatives where they're either working for us or they're working for some of our subcontractors. We, we've got a lot of outreach programs. I mean, one of our most exciting ones is the Beacon of Light. And for me, this is, um, this is uh, sadly, COVID has kind of put it back a little bit. But I mean, the Beacon of Light, which I, I think you're familiar with, actually. Um, yeah, it's up in Sunderland, isn't it? That, right by Sunderland Football Club. It is. It is. It's a, a charitable foundation, I think, funded uh, partly through the, the, the football club up there. And the Barrett have a big presence in, in the northeast. I think it's our homeland in, in many respects. Mm -hmm. um, so we were very keen to get engaged with Beacon and Blight. We know that that part of the world of, of our country, there, there are a lot of uh, young people not in education or, or, mm. or in employment uh, and from socially deprived areas as well. Uh, and what we've done is we're focusing on, on, on young people aged between 14 and 19 plus. And through a number of programs that we're working with them on, uh, we've created what we've got. Uh, we've got our own construction work zone there. Um, and, and what we're trying to do with the young people in that age group is, is engage them with construction, help them on the softer skills of, of getting ready for the, the either workplace or further education, whatever their journey is going to be. If nothing else, we will have been able to help them on their journey. In some cases, we will be able to bring them into our organization and provide them either work placements or, or jobs. Um, and, and this particular initiative is one that, I think this is one of the easier ones. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm already hearing from the teams up there that you know, they're engaging with young people that they know are right for our organization. Um, now, as I said earlier on, sadly, um, COVID has uh, meant that, you know, engagement with them physically is, is not possible at the moment. But once we get through this stuff, I think Beacon of Light will become um, a great opportunity for us and for, and for the individuals. Which is fantastic. And I think in a sense, what it shows is Barrett's is on a journey and, you know, you're looking to deal with some really diff different groups of people who are yeah. often further away perhaps from having a, sh a shot at opportunity than others. And actually they've all got slightly different challenges that yeah. if you're going to be successful in giving them a pathway into the business, you're steadily learning how to overcome them. Yeah. But do you think in terms of um, for people um, of a BAME background or disability, mm -hmm. when you look at what you've been able to do by built, built by both, do you think some of these experiences you've, you've got are really pointing the way to how you can reach that even wider 
group of, of talent, that talent that out, that's still out there that, as you say, in a way is, is the next mm. stage for you to, to get to? Yes, I think, in fact, you mentioned um, disability and BAME. You know, we, we, we've worked closely with WizKids, um, which, again, is a wonderful charity for disabled young people, essentially. And, and actually, they're helping us on this journey. Um, we, but again, COVID, unfortunately, isn't helping us. So what, what we have done is we have audited um, all of our officers. Mm-hmm. And we've audited, audited, audited them from the perspective of if I was a disabled individual, either wheelchair bound or whatever, would this work environment work for me? Uh, we did our own research um, and with third parties did a lot of work to get our officers ready. Uh, and then because we, we, WizKids is one of the charities we support, we then invited WizKids to visit those sites uh, and, and, and actually live them, you know, go in and, and, mm-hmm. and give us some additional advice and guidance. Um, and then we would then make those final adaptations. And then we would, you know, proactively go and ensure that we are attracting those individuals to the business. Um, the, the visits were about to take place uh, in March, spookily. Um, so they've obviously been put on hold now. And, and clearly for the next few months, they will be on hold. But once, once we get through this thing, and once those visits have taken place, we, we will have offices that are ready to accommodate um, mm. people with, with, with disabilities. So I think that's work in progress. I think as far as BAME is concerned, when we started on our journey on diversity and inclusion, we focused on gender. It was, it was the, the first characteristic that, that we felt that we could get our arms around. We're now in, in the process of getting our arms around the, the BAME challenge. So we have within the business, we've got a number of networking, but we have a BAME networking group. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is a, a cross-functional geographical group, group of people that meet remotely uh, through facilitated discussion. And we talk to them about, you know, their perceptions of working for us and, and what could be better and what needs to be better from a BAME perspective. Uh, and again, that's work in progress. Um, but I think BAME will be our next sort of characteristic that we really want to drive so that we ensure that we are attractive to to people from a BAME background and also for those that are from that background working for us, that they're engaged with the business and and motivated. And looking at and learning from the experience you've had so far across a much wider DNI agenda, which is which is great. And I mean I think from a, a Barrett's perspective, obviously you know, you've had this concept of a, being a responsible business. A lot of people are talking about the role of purpose and business and the wider ESG agenda. Yeah. Just tell us a bit about how that wider ESG agenda comes alive for you. Um, well, I, it was alive for us for quite some time and still is when it comes to things like um, apprenticeships, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, we have mm-hmm. been... For many years, we have um, been a big supporter of the apprenticeship programs, and they've been great for us. We, we have more than 400 apprentices, which is about 7% of our workforce. At any one time, we were going to take 150 on this year. We, it, it's a smaller intake for obvious reasons. But what we're keen to do with our apprentices is to ensure that they come from the kinds of backgrounds 
that, that mm. were for us, but also benefit those people from those socially deprived backgrounds. And 25% broadly of, of all of our intake come from the, those that are on the index as sort of the bottom three geographic regions uh, mm. where we have these challenges. Um, so this is something we've done anyway. We've always, we've always done that, uh, and we will carry on doing that. Um, we have a graduate scheme that, that um, doesn't depend on Russell Group universities. You know, the universities we work with uh, tend to be the old polytechnics, and that helps us because I think people that have got a, perhaps a more vocational uh, approach to what it is they want to do when they eventually start their career work best for us and that means we get people from an, an enormous range of backgrounds actually joining us in fact you know we, we've also engaged with Sheffield Hallam University on mm-hmm. our own degree program mm-hmm. and again that was something that we thought was really imp- important for our own workforce people that uh, you know don't have a degree um, probably left school when they were 16 some earlier They've had a phenomenal career with us. They've worked really hard. They're very successful site managers, for example. But they have never been given that opportunity to actually get, get, get a degree or a foundation degree. So we created a, it's now a degree apprenticeship with, um, with Sheffield Hall. And we've had nearly 180 people either graduate through that. Mm-hmm. Or are actually on are on the, their particular program. So I think, in, in, in as far as the employment side of ESG is concerned, there's been a lot that we've been doing anyway, and we'll continue to do. I think if you look at the wider environmental aspect of, of, of ESG, you know, we, we our ambition is to cut our um, carbon emissions by a third by 2025. Um, we we want to be net zero by 2040. I think, you know, this as an agenda for us is, is very important. And again, has been for a number of years. We, I think it must be about six years ago now, the, we sold out on a, um, an incredible community we created down near Bristol, uh, a place called Hannam Hall, which was a, a zero carbon community. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a big challenge for us at the time. Um, you know, we were building houses, the like of which we've never seen before. Um, and it was, you know, it wasn't a standard template for us, but it was a challenge that we really wanted to, to, to take. Uh, and what we've left behind there is, is, as I say, a zero carbon community that is, is a show page, a piece for anybody that wants to see what the art of the possible is when you come to broader environmental challenges like this. And my sense, I don't know about you, Rob, the two in a way go hand in hand it's people and planet but actually as this wider economic transition to a green economy happens it creates the new careers the new roles the new science if you like that generates opportunities and actually if you can marry the two up together Mm. then i think you really get um a chance to to really refashion if you like how things are for a lot of people and I think that's when it gets really exciting. Um, And it's not often that companies or a wider country faces this sense of not only the economy has to transition, um, I think we've got a levelling up agenda, but also because of COVID, societies change quite significantly, quite possibly. And so there is this moment to refashion it if we want. And I think people don't really want to go back to how things were and, yeah. I think if you're going to make them better, though, it starts from probably learning what's already working on the ground, which is why through the pledge, 
were so keen and passionate about actually taking some of this best practice that's there and that experience and Barrett's one of those companies that's got that experience and then really almost open sourcing it so that other companies other organizations um, can learn from it more widely but I guess you know there are challenges ahead Um, where do you see for house building those challenges unfolding and 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 what do you think is ahead for for your sector in particular i think um i mean the immediate challenge is trying to get back into building volume again um you know we we, we did take a, a hit on, on on the volume of houses that we were able to build so we're back on track now um the first 12 weeks of of trading has been very good and and we're starting to see almost an exponential growth back to where we were. And I think as a sector, we've got to keep that going. And I know the next six months are going to be really tough, but I think, you know, we owe it to, to, to ourselves and, and, and we need to build the houses that, that the country needs. We've got to get those volume volumes moving quickly. I think there's a whole piece around the retention and attraction uh, for us as a sector. We, are, we know that, you know, we have suffered historically from not being a, a, a sector of choice when it comes to employees. I, I don't know why, because I think it's a wonderful sector, but I'm biased. Um, so that, that whole agenda needs to, to, to get back on track. Um, you know, we need to ensure that we have got the skills that we need um, to, to, to drive the volumes that the country mm-hmm. needs. And I guess some um, of those things are pre- learning from previous recessions where, yeah. you know, for, I guess for house builders in particular, it is and has been quite cyclical, yeah. but perhaps what people don't realise is that means your staff come in and then they go out and you end, it drives a whole model, doesn't it? This yes, up it and down cycle. And if you can start to stabilise that, yes. then it means you can get far more core career opportunities for yeah. people almost whatever the economic weather and that's, and it's a better, more efficient yeah. business model. So it's a real prize if you can start to smooth it out. It is. And I, I think the sector has learned from the past. You're right. It's been feast and famine. You know, if you look at apprenticeships, it's a great example of, you know, when the sector was in our down cycle, we just stopped recruiting apprentices, which, mm-hmm. you know, is crazy. And then and then when we when we're talking about a skills crisis, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, it, it's uh, I told you so is inevitable. And so I think we've learned from that. And, and you know, we are. You know, although we've all had to cut back on the number of apprenticeships because of the, the virus, I think that's more to do with the virus than any economic downturn in, in our sector. The one thing is for sure, when, when the next downturn, and, and there will be one for our sector, comes, we will carry on investing in people. We will carry on investing in apprenticeships and doing all of this stuff that we think is, is critical to the sustainability of our business. Um, and we won't find ourselves in, in another skills crisis when we're trying to, you know, exponentially grow the volume of houses that we're, uh, that we're building. And you've, you've obviously learnt a huge amount. And if you were, you know, talking to very young Rob all those years ago, thinking about yeah. the future and passing on a, a few bits of advice, um, yeah. what would they be now, do you think, Rob? Well, it's interesting. I, I come from that school of thought that it, it, work is all about sacrifice. So, you know, if I look at my career, I probably moved my family eight or nine times 
for work. It's by your phone. It's eight times to be precise. And 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 you were and and are wedded to the job. I, I if I could go back, I, I with you know what I know now, I, I would like to say to the young Rob, look, you know, it's not all about work. You know, work is important, but it doesn't define you. Um, you know, you yes, by all means, dedicate yourself to your career, but don't lose sight of work-life balance. I, I really believe that that's the thing. That you know, over the years, I know I didn't get enough work-life balance. Um, and if I could go back, I would say make sure that you you do. Um, and then the other thing I would say to young Rob is is take risks. Uh, you know, you know. The, the days of people working for the same company for 40 years or 20 years or whatever, that, they're over. So if, if opportunities come along and you think that looks like something I would really enjoy and could add value to, take it. You know, mm-hmm. don't sort of be in a situation where you're thinking, what if? Um, yeah, so I think, I think that's what I'd say to myself. Two brilliant bits of advice. It's all about balance, isn't it? And then being prepared to just try stuff from time to time. Um, I'd, I'd thoroughly endorse all of that, actually. You know, I spend a long time in politics working incredibly hard. And I think if you're enjoying what you're doing, it's sometimes easy, perhaps, to lose sight of a, a wider world, family yeah. and all of that. And, you know, they're the ones that are, are always going to be there for you for the long term. Um, yeah. I also, personally, have always felt helps you stay grounded and and yeah. i felt that helped me be better at what i was doing in parliament yeah, um, yeah. so it's it's a sort of um virtuous circle really um mm. anyway look rob it's been absolutely fantastic having you on the podcast um thanks for the podcast but also <laughs> we're really excited to be launching the opportunity action plan with barrett shortly so yeah um, look forward to that and um, yeah hope to be able to get a chance to meet up and, and see you at some point over perhaps the next yeah. few weeks no problem and, and good luck with your mission I'm sure you'll be very successful thank you thank you Barrett is a company that is really being proactive in how it engages with the challenges of today and tomorrow whether on skills and social mobility whether on wider sustainability challenges in the environment. And what Rob said about how in the event of another economic downturn, there'll be a company that keeps on investing in apprentices is so important because this agenda of building greener communities and communities which have opportunities and social mobility is something that we can't afford to row back on. And now is a time when actually It's never been more important. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fit for Purpose. If you enjoyed it, please give us a rating and share with your friends, family and colleagues. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes.